five, four, three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all as always. Coming to y'all from Louisville, Kentucky on a nice hot fall day. Big news out of Iona, or I guess New Rochella, New York, but out of the Iona Men's Lacrosse Program, which is set to begin in 2025, playing in the MAC as they have decided on their new, or I should say first-time head coach, and that is Chad Soman, the former head coach at Mosa, spent four months as the uh, as an assistant there at Manhattan. Um, he, you know, obviously is a Salisbury guy, played at Salisbury, uh, what was at uh, Salisbury as an assistant, and then was at Mosa for, I think, seven years there as an assistant, associate head coach for a time, and then as the head coach uh, for 2021. And 2022, Chad Soman, uh, his family had moved to New York over the summer, and uh, he took that assistant job at Manhattan, leaving just four months later to fill that uh, inaugural head coaching job there at Iona. I've said in the past, I think this is an Iona program. Um, you know, it, it just kind of makes sense what, where they are to add lacrosse uh, there in the New York area. And when you look at the league that they're going in, the MAC, it is the most upwardly mobile league, uh, at least one of them in college lacrosse. And uh, so I, I think this is a, a program that if they do things right, they can uh, – have the same success that we've seen out of programs like Monmouth, like St. Bonaventure, who began their lacrosse programs as members of the MAC. Both of them now gone, though, in this recent uh, addition, recent uh, realignment process, if you will, of conference realignment. Uh, but Iona, I think there's a lot of potential there. You see they got Rick Pitino as the basketball coach, and, and they've had some success basketball-wise. So, uh, you, you know, we'll see where Chad Soman can take them as a, uh, a, a new program. And this will be a different challenge for him. You know, he took over a program at Mosa that was, um, you know, on the younger side in terms of like the grand scheme of things, a younger program. Uh, when you look at it, beginning play, I think 2012 was their first season. Uh, so he took over that program after Kyle Hannon uh, stepped down. Uh, Hannon, now the head coach, I think, at Goucher College. Um, I, I saw D two D three school there. Um, I believe it was Goucher, but maybe mistaken on that. Don't quote me on that. But um, Chad Selman took over that job there at Mosa, and uh, you know they had some injuries and th- things like that this season. Were there uh, and last season as as well. And by last, I mean twenty one. So twenty one, twenty two. Uh, you know had a lot of promise potential. Things didn't end up living out the way that uh, they could have for most of uh, the past two seasons when, when he was the head coach. But, hey, they, they had some good talent there uh, on that roster, uh, and he helped build that. So uh, we'll see what he builds here at Iona. I think it's an in- interesting hire. I think it's a pretty good hire. You see what he's done at other places. He's done a pretty good job. So uh, now at Iona, we'll see how he builds this, and, and obviously a new challenge for him is, as he uh, will have to build a program 
from the foundation up, uh, literally setting the stones, setting that cornerstone here, uh, and then building upon that to build a program that obviously they want to be successful in the MAC. They want to be successful on the national level. And as I said, I think this is a program and a conference where you can very much do that. Uh, I, I always look at, at these new programs and see, okay, year four, year five, what are you? And uh, especially in these amongst these mid-major programs, year four, year five, if you build it right, if you progress the way that you should, um, and obviously you're going to have buy-in from that inaugural recruiting class and everything like that that plays into it, but uh, you're going to be able to be at least successful, at least competitive uh, within your own conference by year four, by year five. You very much should be in that good situation if you build a program uh, the right way. We'll see if Chad Sermon can do that. Uh, that. That news dropping here at, I think, 4 o'clock p.m. Oh, no, 3 o'clock p.m. here on Monday afternoon. Uh, that is really the only big news of the day here on the lacrosse front on college lacrosse. So we move to our fall snapshot uh, series. I've been putting out these fall snapshot posts for uh, almost, uh, yeah, over two months now since August. Uh, we've got, I think, 13, 14 uh, programs still left to cover. Uh, going through all 75 Division One programs, giving a snapshot at where they are heading into the 2023 season. You know, at this point here, uh, obviously in the fall. And today we'll take a look at two of those, uh, two more programs that I've previewed in the recent weeks, actually doing both of these last week, I believe it was, uh, Duke and Syracuse, a pair of ACC programs, a pair of Blue Bloods. And we'll start here with the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Duke last season didn't have a good year, uh, you could say. They, they won 11 games, won 11 and 6, 3 and 3 in the ACC. By by the standards of many college across programs, 11 and 6, it's a good year. You had a double-digit winning season. Um, those aren't easily easy to come by. Um, and when you look at, at the grand scheme of things in college across, 11 win seasons aren't easy to come by. However, at Duke, uh, the success is not judged just by the win column and the loss column. And what was in that loss column ended up holding them out of the NCAA tournament. They lost to Syracuse. They lost to Loyola. Pretty bad losses there. That Loyola loss, if you remember, I can't remember what the halftime score was, but they it, it that was that was probably the worst game I, I saw Duke play all year. They did not look in sync. They did not look like they were together at all. Uh, they made some adjustments at halftime and made it a game in the second half. But and that was a Loyola team that they had their own chemistry issues in terms of things just weren't clicking right last season um, for the Greyhounds. And, and the best one of the year was that game against Duke. Uh, which was ultimately one of the losses that held, held Duke out of the NCAA tournament. That second one being at Syracuse, who we'll talk about here in a second, was the highlight of the Oranges season there to beat the Blue Devils. Uh, this is a Duke team that doesn't lose, frankly, much at all from last season's roster. Uh, Sean Lowley is gone. Joe Robertson is gone. Nakai Montgomery are gone. Those are three of your best 
offensive players. Um, and, and Lowry was one of those guys, again, last year, a grad transfer that comes in, highly profi- high-profile grad transfer, that it, it, it never felt like they figured out what they wanted to do with him. He came out of the box sometimes. He played the X-Attack role at times. He was an off-ball guy at times. It, it was very odd, um, especially early on in the season. I feel like they worked him in more as the season went along as a guy coming out of the box. Uh, but there would be games when he'd play one, be in one role, and then the next game be a completely different role. It'd be the same lineup. Um and, and, and that takes me to this Duke offense overall, which for me, I mean, look, it was a good offense last year. And what they have coming back is very, very good. Brendan O'Neill, Andrew McAdoy, Dyson Williams, those are your top three returning point getters from last season. Reed Landon, a player that I very much uh, would say to keep an eye on uh, in terms of this Duke program, a freshman last season, midfielder, Got a couple starts late in the year. Uh, really impressed in his showings. Got to keep your eye on there at Duke um, amongst this very talented roster. And this is a roster each year that's one of the most talented in college across. And you look at this offense, I mean, that what I just said, the most talented roster in college across, or one of the most, that is true every single year for Duke. That was true last year. That was very much true last year. And in 2021, when they made championship weekend, that's very much been true for the past five, six, seven, you know, 10 years. That's been true since Donowski got there. This is one of the most talented rosters, talented programs, UTU in college across. It's an ACC program. It's a big boy program. It's one of the big two conferences in college across. It's a blue blood. They've won multiple national titles. This is a team that's always going to be good This uh, in terms of talent, right? And this was a team that was very much good last season offensively. Fourth in scoring offense, 15.41 goals per game. They were third in team shooting percentage, 34.9% clip there. Uh, You can round that 35 if you want. Uh, They had the second best man-up unit in college across, cashing in on 60% of such opportunities. Um, And look, Brennan O'Neill, 53 goals, 21 assists. Dyson Williams, he's your finisher. He's your off-ball guy, 43 goals, Nine assists. That's a that that as those two are your top guys. A pretty good offense there, and putting up over fifteen goals a game, fifteen point four one goals a game. That's that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, but as I said, and 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 I should add um, that this is a team that also returns. I mentioned Landon, but Owen Caputo, Aiden Denenza. Those are two other guys there at that midfield uh, that have really made impacts throughout their career, and they're returning as well. This is a team, though, um, and I mentioned the Sean Lowy aspect of it. They used Sean Lowy, I think, 100 different ways last year. They also used Brennan O'Neill multiple different ways. Is he a quarterback? Um, is he an initiator? It felt like really Nakai Montgomery was probably the only guy um, that they really, that from what I was watching, from a week-to-week basis, knew what they wanted to do with him. Um, This offense very much was good. This offense was very much talented. It just felt like that there was something missing. Like they they couldn't get figured out exactly what they wanted to do. Um, 
And that, that was very much a problem for Duke in 2021 with Michael Sallows as well. Um, so two years in a row, Duke has had this, this problem. I'm not questioning whether Duke's offense can be good. They're going to be a top five, top six offense again this year uh, in, in terms of points per game, in terms of goals per game, shooting percentage, all of that. They always are. Um, I don't doubt that at all. My question is, are the pieces going to fit the way they want to? And also, if they don't fit the way they want to right away, how many different changes are we going to see on this offense? We've seen a lot of changes on offense for Duke the past couple of years, and uh, some have worked, some have not worked. Some have sticked, some have not sticked. We're going to have to see how things go here for Duke in this offense in 2023. Again, this is an offense. You've got Brennan O'Neill, you've got Dyson Williams, you've got Andrew McAdoy. This is an insanely talented offense. This is an, an insanely good, insanely productive offense. But how do they fit together? And are they going to be a consistent unit in terms of being in those same roles from week to week? That is the big question here because that has not been the case each of the past two seasons. We've seen changes. We've seen tweaks. We have seen, it, it, it seemed like Duke did not know what they wanted to do on offense last season, despite the talent that they had. Not in spite of it, despite that talent, right? Um, it's a talented unit. We'll see what they do. But that is the biggest question I have for this Duke team is what the heck is this offense going to look like? How are they going to fit those pieces together? How are those pieces going to work together in 2023? Because um, that has not been a consistency. There's not been a consistency among how things work offensively for Duke over the past two years. Moving on to the faceoff dot, Jake Nasos there. He's, I'm confident that he's, He's the man. He's been the man for the past two seasons. Don't worry about the face-off dot. That is probably the one area. That is the one area that I am least concerned about with Duke in 2023. And I should add here with Duke's offense in 23, they add Tommy Schelling there, the attackman from Lehigh. They will also add Jamie Zuzzi at the face-off dot. They also add Will Helm at the goalie spot a St. Lawrence Division Three transfer. And I, that brings me to the next question here, which is Duke's defense. Duke had a very good season last year, 11-6. and six. They didn't make the NCAAs. They had a good season, but they didn't live up to the standard. That, that's, that's, that's the case, right? And it's those two losses, Loyola and Syracuse, really that held them back. This defense, however, and look, I said this, about the offense, was very good, very talented. Um, you look on paper, this was a talented defense last season for Duke. And you look at the polls they have, Wilson Stevenson, Kenny Brower, Tyler, Tyler Carpenter, all three of those guys are back. All three of those guys are all ACC, all-conference caliber talents. They, they just are. You had... In Cage, a very, very confident goalie there in Adler. You had at the defensive midfield spot, 
and a lot of different guys that went there, right? Carpenter was at the LSM spot headlining that rope unit. Um, but it seemed like they tried a bunch of different dudes at the D-mid spot. Jake Caputo went both ways, right? This is a defense overall, though, and again, talented defense. And you look at those polls and you look at those names and you know what they were coming out of high school. You know what they have been at times at Duke. And you say, that's a talented unit. However, you look at what they produced last year, it was not good. 11.18 goals per game. They were the 26th best scoring defense in college across. However, uh, in its six ACC games, they allowed 11.83 goals per game. That's almost 12 goals per game. And the final four games of the season, they allowed 12.75 goals on average. That included a stretch, uh, a, a pair of losses there against Notre Dame, both those losses against Notre Dame, 16 goals against the Irish, both times they met, both in South Bend and in Durham. This is a defense that, while talented, did not seem to fit together. And one of the things that I'll mention, it didn't seem, at least at times, like they had that alpha defenseman. It didn't seem like they had that. It seemed like they had a, a lot of good players, right? Wilson Stevenson, Kenny Brower, those are great players. And they made some really good plays last season at close. Tyler Carpenter, a guy that can play at close and at LSM, he's all over the field. And he made a lot of good plays last year. But together, and suddenly Adler and Cage made a ton of saves. I think if you remove Adler from that picture, this defense is probably a lot worse because they did not fit together well last season. They did not appear to fit together well last season. And again, the alpha thing. You had a guy, Cade Van Rappels. You had a guy, JT Giles Harris. That were the alpha, right? And for years, it was Cade Van Rappels and JT Giles Harris. Those were the top two defensemen. Cade Van Rappels was your number one. JT Giles Harris was a close number two. JT Giles Harris takes over as that number one defenseman in 2020, 2021. And he's very good. He's insanely good, right? He was the alpha dog. It doesn't, it didn't feel like Duke had an alpha dog at close, at least. Now, Adler and Cage was very much the alpha of this defense, but they did not have an alpha at pole. And you need a guy like that to rally the troops, to lead the troops there out in front of the cage. Felt at times that Kenny Brower could be that. I don't think he lived up to that last season. Like, there were moments when you said, okay, Kenny Brower's the alpha. But then there was other times when you said, he's not. So this defense has just got to get better. They got to take a step, maybe even two forward, to be as, as good as they need to be. Like, if you want to win a national championship, you look at what and Virginia's defense, they did have that little backslide last season. But you look at what these defenses at other ACCs have been like. Duke, uh, Notre Dame, Virginia, very good defenses the past couple of seasons. For, for uh, Syracuse, they've been, you know, they fumbled, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But Duke has got to get better on defense consistently uh, if they want to get back to the promised land being championship weekend next season. Uh, they, they've got to get better on that. They've got to get more consistent on that. They had some good defensive performances, but overall was not very good there in Durham when it came to defense. 
outside of Mike Adler and Cage. And again, Wilson Stevenson, Tyler Carpenter, Kenny Bradley. That's a good three-headed monster there in terms of your top three poles. Defensive midfield, I, I thought they were very, very weak there at the D-mid spot, and that, that's an area where they're going to have to improve on. They're going to have to get more depth there. I, 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 I don't care who it was that they trotted out there. It, it, it felt like at no point in the season they were getting any pressure from that position. And like maybe like maybe they did against Manhattan or Vermont, but you, you can have good days against those teams. You need to have a good day against Virginia and Notre Dame and North Carolina. Got to have good days against those teams, good days against the Maryland's of the world if you want to win a championship. And that's the standard at Duke. The standard is a championship. Duke did not live up to that standard last season going 11-6. and six. Again, 11 wins. That's a good number. Six losses. If they would have made the tournament, they would have been the only at-large uh, team in with, a, with six losses on the year. And again, those two losses, Loyola and Syracuse, really held the Blue Devils out of the tournament last season. So to put a bow on this thing, just overall, this is a Duke team that's insanely talented. This is a Duke team that brings in five stars on five stars uh, once again with this 2022 recruiting class. This is a Duke team that top to bottom is arguably the most talented roster in college across uh, on a year-to-year basis, and it's been that way for quite some time. This is a Duke team, a Duke program that can get to championship weekend each and every year if they play their best lacrosse. They did not play their best lacrosse last season. Offensively, we need to see what you're going to do, how you're going to use those guys. It's a talented bunch, a very talented bunch. And it was a top five scoring offense last season. They just never seemed to figure out what they wanted to do. Defensively, we got to see who's going to be starting in cage. Um, there you've got the grad transfer and William Helm out of St. Lawrence in Division Three, um, and you've got numerous other guys who've not really played uh, or seen any action at the college level as all, at all. Uh, but that's not the biggest question. Uh, that, that's, that's not the only question on defense, I should say, because this defense has got to get better. It's got to get more consistent. We've got to find out who is that alpha pole that Duke has there. Defensive midfield has got to get better. The only, the, the only place with this Duke team that I really have any uh, like 100% confidence in is Jake Nason. So like overall, Duke, a great team, a great roster, high, high ceiling. They got to put it all together. It's easier said than done. Uh, but but that really is what Duke has to do here in 2023 if they want to get back to championship weekend. They got to put it together, get those puzzle pieces fitting right like they have not uh, over the past two seasons.